Welcome back to another episode of This Is Your Show, a podcast for people who just need a place to vent about their issues or chat with somebody, for people who are experiencing hardship or success, a place where people can feel safe to come and celebrate their winnings, as well as ask for help while they feel they are not winning so much. I've been both high and I've been low, but what got me through both of those experiences was the people that love me and support me. If you feel like you don't have that in your life, I'm extending an invite to be your friend or just somebody to listen. Let's get started. Welcome to the second half of my very intimate conversation with Jeff Hergy. As you learned in the first episode, Jeff worked for the Department of Defense and was inside the Pentagon the morning of September 11th, 2001. His recount of that day takes a lot of courage and has been very inspiring to many of my listeners. If there is anyone in the world who's hearing Ian, Sharice, and Jeff's stories, and has their own story to tell about that day, please reach out to me at thisisyourshowpodcast at gmail.com. If I can provide you a space to tell your story, I would be honored in doing so. Here is the rest of my conversation with Jeff. I don't know if I dreamt it or if it was just the detail I was focusing on yesterday, but it was, I remember you saying that it was, um, the Pentagon has their kind of their own private police force and that's who informed you there was word a second plane was on inbound? That's correct. Yeah, they're called the Defense Protective Service. And, uh, you know, we were already at the perimeter of the uh, south parking lot overlooking the Pentagon and the smoke and, and things like that. Just like you're saying, you know, uh, when it comes down to events like this, sometimes you just have this, it's kind of like looking at a car crash when you drive by it. It's it, you're like, why am I looking at that? And uh, I don't know if it's human nature, there's some, probably some psychology about it. But, you know, we're just standing there, you know, we would love to help, but there's 22,000 people in the Pentagon you know, any, you know, given part of a business day. And we're already across, like I was saying in the last uh, segment of this, we were at that point, you know, we're coming out of the building probably 10 or 15 minutes after the impact, maybe even longer than that. And even at that point, there's still emergency personnel, fire trucks, unmarked government vehicles, just driving and tearing into the uh, parking lot and trying to get over to the uh, impact zone and being around military, you know, like we're talking about first responders, you know, they have a tendency to go towards the stuff that most people go away from. And I knew it was pretty much well in hand, not anything that, you know, this former Boy Scout could handle or whatever. Um, And, you know, I had to be just one of the people that needed to walk away from the scene and, you know, we were interested in watching and stuff, but, you know, when the Defense Protective Service says second one's coming, that's orders. We started walking to the underpass that led over to the, uh, on the other side of uh, 395, we actually walked under it through one of the areas where the cars are able to enter into South Parking or subsequently go into Pentagon City. And so we're all just a mass of thousands of people walking out and so we're entering um, Pentagon City, and that's the last we get of what we would consider official news from things. You know, we're like everybody else who uh, doesn't have a radio. We didn't have iPhones back then. We didn't have you know so many cell phones uh, for that matter. So we ended up finding ourselves finding out news when we walked past people standing around a car that's either parked there or um, stuck in traffic with their windows down playing the radio. We're just listening in and we're hearing reports that there was a bombing at the State Department and things like that. Just some of the stuff that came out as 
we didn't know what was a good source, and I don't know why stuff like that came out that day. Yeah, I remember there were so many different stories happening all at the same time. And, it, you know, you have to take it at face value when you see two towers burning in New York on the live news. And so all of a sudden it's like, OK, well, it almost seems like everything that's that's being said has to be true because this never happens. Right. And, you know, I just walked away from the Pentagon who had a major impact. So I, I know of a third attack. So... You know, I'm like, hey, this is pretty well calculated. I don't doubt it. Uh, surprise, but you know, that's what I'm taking it as fact. And and you know, I'm hearing there's other explosions on 95 and things like that. And uh, nation's capital, you know, you're kind of thinking, hey, if this is an attack, this is there's a chance it is happening all around us. But uh, you know, we're walking uh, over still through Pentagon uh, and City, uh, heading towards Crystal City. And at that point, I'm guessing uh, that's when the nation started like, calling all the planes to the land and stuff like that. And for the most part, in South Parking, when you're overlooking the Pentagon, there's lots of vantage point where you can see great distances. You can see even over towards the Washington Monument across the Potomac River, things like that. So I'm not seeing too much activity in terms of planes landing because there's Reagan National Airport, which is about three miles directly from the Pentagon to the runway. So I'm guessing planes are landing there, but we're hearing this stuff, which kind of adds to the, the fear that that's the next plane coming. And then occasionally when we got into Pentagon City, which became more of a city landscape where you didn't get the vantage point of being able to look out towards the horizon because you're just looking in between buildings uh, like you would in New York, where you all you saw was just a little bit of sky in the distance. You know, we would hear jet microplanes coming by too, the F-16s and so forth. But Sorry to cut you off, but you, you say that you heard F-16s taking off and so many people say that they didn't have any air support to scramble at that time from reports that I've read. And I'm this is why I'm, I'm happy to talk to people who were witness to it, because you never know what you heard, if it's true or not. Well, there wasn't any taking off. Uh, near us because the ones oh. that take off, take off at military bases, uh, you know, Quantico and uh, Andrews Air Force Base and things like that. And we didn't see any flying overhead, but we could hear the ones that were up high. Oh, I see. Okay. And there wasn't much of the F-16 sounds. It was mainly just, you know, content or, you know, normal uh, civilian airlines, just plain noise. And then helicopters mm -hmm. and fire engines and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Later on, you know, being there another year later, you know, we, we had lots of planes flying uh, by the building and the F-16s and stuff like that that would attend memorial services for the folks over at um, Arlington Cemetery. And uh, for a great while, they were just happening randomly to us, uh, which affected all of us in some manner post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, it's months, you know, weeks or months later after the actual attack. We're just sitting there trying to resume our duties and so forth and so on. And then you hear <laughs> going by and then you're like, holy shit, I was eating one day. My stomach dropped. 
So my guess is people had similar uh, responses as I did. So they started letting us know and they would uh, inform us by something in the computers where they just pop and say, hey, you know, at uh, 1400 hours, you know, there's going to be a, a flyover. So you can anticipate when the, the F-16 is closing the building for whatever reason, you know, you could uh, be aware and, and it wouldn't be aware. Yeah, it wouldn't be something that just blindsided you. And yeah, at least you knew it was coming and I'm sure it helped. It did. It helped out a lot yeah. because uh, fear feeds into irrational thoughts. And here at the Pentagon, you've had planes fly over and buzz the building for a couple of years, you know, or I did, you know, while I was working there. And you're just, oh, it'd be cool to go out and watch it or whatever, just because you know, you're geeking out kind of thing. But after 9-11, some of the geeking out didn't, you know, convert into geeking out. It was like, holy shit, what's happening? Um, but there was one time that was really awesome because I did find out about it. And so I got to go, get a chance to go out and, um, they had informed us it was going to be a, um, uh, this, I don't know what it was for some high ranking dignitary, but they actually did a, uh, a missing man formation where they have the, uh, I think it's the four M16s flying in formation that you probably see these, uh, blue angels do. And then they have one that peels off from the rest. And this is over the Pentagon. It was just amazing to watch because I'm sitting there in the same area where I had vacated the building when it attacked. But this is months later as a tribute towards this fallen dignitary in this service. But yeah, they're flying at us across from Arlington Cemetery over the Pentagon. And then the three the F-16s continue straight on overhead across the horizon. But then the one peels off almost just directly skyward. And it was just awe-inspiring to see the military pay tribute to this and to, to witness that and to feel like because military brats were around tanks and stuff like it every so often. And so you're just like Tim the Toolman Taylor. You're like, <laughs> you know. No kidding. Absolutely. Yeah. The, regardless of, of, of that day, you're, there's still a kid inside of you who loves looking at fighter jets. Yeah, you're just like, I don't want to hear that engine roar. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That that's good to still have that connection too, despite it all, because yeah, I'm um, you know, they're they're cool. They're cool to yeah. look at. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm not like uh, you know, I I had the choice of joining the military and all that kind of stuff and I chose not to and I knew I was not uh, like a army type of person inside me as at the core of me. Adrenaline junkie. Yeah, like like my brother and my dad, and you know, they're talking about jumping out of perfectly good planes and helicopters. And you know, my brother was talking about during one of his training uh, missions where he had uh, been repelling from a helicopter. They're flying the helicopter, not just hovering, but they're actually flying it towards something. And they went and dunked my brother while he's repelling into the river. <laughs> oh river. wow! <laughs> and I, I can't even stand the Scooby Doo roller coaster at uh, King's Dominion. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, I'm loving hearing these stories, but uh, I just wasn't that type. And I still wasn't that type when I was in that position at the Pentagon. I'm more an entrepreneurial type. But it was still pretty cool to be there. And kind of like we may or may not have said in the previous thing, you know, you get to growing up as a military brat or at least my generation where, you know, your parents, they stayed in a job for 30 years and they went for their pensions and all that kind of junk. And they, they think that's the advice to give you. And it is good advice, but it's also uh, this day and age, you can switch things around and uh, move from one thing to another. And it's not so um, looked at negatively as it might've been in the past. You have three jobs in three years. 
No, I agree with you. I've had, I've gone, I've gone through many, many jobs in the last 10 or 15 years. And it's funny how many I've hopped from, and this is the most satisfying job I've had. And it's, it's connecting with other human beings and making it my day job at, with, through the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I can only imagine, and I enjoy talking with people and that's why when I left the Pentagon, I, I went to work as a handyman for a while just to kind of get away from the building and itself. And it was just wonderful just working with people and just going in their homes and seeing their kids and their pets and them and sharing stories. And then, you know, I've been doing that for 17, 18 years since then. Uh, and, you know, people are, their kids are going off to college and you know, I've had people that I'm also a realtor. I also uh, had people you know, have me sell their homes for them and help, have me help them buy a home for them. And so that's just uh, takes you back to things. It's kind of like we talk about 9-11. That's what we're doing right now. But 9-12, September 12th, you know, 2001, people talk about we wish we all could be there because we were one united country. I agree. And uh I think I heard you talking with Ian, which was subsequently talking with Ari about how, you know, there's been less terrorist activity um, in parts of the world during this COVID thing. That, you know, it's a sad that it takes a worldwide pandemic for us to come together to lay down arms against one another, to mm-hmm. be in a state of peace for self-care. No, I absolutely agree with that. And and despite the trauma and everything that's come from either 9-11 or with this pandemic for people who've lost, you know, poor Italy, like how many people, I know people from Italy that have lost so many family members. And out of all of that, I mean, that doesn't make it any easier to accept that trauma or that loss. However, if there's a shining light out of any of it, it is we are fully capable as a human race to group together for the same cause and help each other. Yeah, and you know, you, you're talking to Ari about the differences between Christianity and you know, the Jewish faith. Their fundamentals can be somewhat different, but you know, we're still humans, and you know, even though we may have different perspectives on it. It's, we can still have a warm conversation and fellowship with you know, someone with a different belief. That's just, it's a beautiful thing. And these days we just get, seem to get all hyped up a little bit, maybe because it's that instant news and our propensity to react immediately uh, instead of taking a moment to take into consideration that you know, some of this might be propaganda, some of it might be an agenda. And some of it is intentionally pushing your triggers. And- I'm, I'm telling you, Jeff, having told my friends that I'm speaking with you, not as a bragging rights, but the fact that when I open my mind to connecting with people that I, ha- I don't know, I would have never imagined it even bringing me here speaking with you about this subject because it has been something that impacted my life and every single year if not multiple times a year it's something that i i read up about it's something that i pay tribute to it it affected us all and so it bringing me here talking to you is it means a lot well thanks yeah it means a lot too to to have 
a place to share this story and then also to kind of help you know our curiosity and processing of this either from my perspective or yours because I, I i did the same thing i actually didn't get a chance to watch any of the footage of that day until very late that evening i guess in a continuation of the story is you know we're in pentagon city heading over to crystal city we're able to stop by the local post office there to use a payphone. We're all taking turns to call our loved ones just to kind of check in to saying, hey, I'm alive. I'm working my way home. Please spread the word because this is the last call I'm probably going to be able to make today or, or you know, at least until I get home. And the journey took all day to go. We followed, you know, some of our older colleagues and uh, the bosses that we worked with. We were like following them, thinking that they would guide us through these things, but they were in shock. So we're following them just because it's easier sometimes to follow them than it is to lead. But then all of a sudden, they get a call or they make a call and they hear that their wife or husband wants them home. So we're like, oh shit, what are we going to do? <laughs> we know we need to get home, but we were following them for some semblance of uh, leadership and guidance, that kind of thing. But eventually you kind of snap out of it a little bit and um, we realize you know, that is the goal. We need to get home. And so I, I uh, arranged to get a hold of my dad uh, to have him meet me out at the metro way across town because we're in the suburbs, probably 20 miles outside of D.C. in the Pentagon. But this attack happened you know, seven or 9.37 in the morning. I didn't get out to uh, the metro where my dad picked me up until probably close to five o'clock. So it took a whole eight hour day to get home with the volume of people trying to get on you know, our metro systems and public transportation and cars and, and then also us just snapping out of it and then strategically figuring out how to do it. But, but yeah, my dad, he, um, he still worked for the Department of Defense and he picked me up and he was like, hey, can you come and help me out with a project at my office? I'm like, dad, you know what just happened to me? He's like, you know, I wouldn't have asked this, you know, because I'm sure you want to go home and watch the news and all that kind of stuff and, you know, hug people and things like that. But we have a project at my office that has been giving us some troubles that the country could certainly use a hand in and would be an appropriate time for you to resolve that issue. There is a, uh, a system called the Defense Switch Network, which is a, it's basically the AT&T or Verizon or the phone service for the Department of Defense. It's uh, a means for communicating with folks through their own private phone lines and stuff like that, you know, so they can perform the you know, nation's duty uh, in case other things get jammed up with either phone regular phone lines, commercial ones, and so forth. But um, there was a website that uh, they had, which was kind of a directory for the Defense Switch Network that was down. And um, I had some basic skills in, in doing web spinning, is what they called it back in the day, but you know, basically web design. And he asked if I could restore the function of this thing so that people could utilize it you know, in the, their version of Googling or using it as a directory to be able to get a hold of people around the world through this defense switch network. And so I went to his office, eventually fixed that thing so that people can perform their duties and then watched a little bit of footage on the TV at their office and then finally went home. So that was kind of neat thing to be able to say and do on that day, just because you've heard the various 
things you feel when you go through that day. You know, you feel like a potential victim or are a victim or um, you want to do something and, and your hands are tied. And we all felt that way for a long time. And to be able to do that that day was a blessing. No kidding. Absolutely. And, and what a contribution. I mean, in the moment, it might have just, you know, just been instinct. Okay, this is what I know to do and I'm going to do it. But at the end of it all, looking back, wow, without that. Well, I'm sure that there's other means, but um, it, it was, you know, something he felt it was important to pull me away from what we all needed to do to, you know, serve our country. And, and, mm-hmm. and then we can all be individuals and process things as individuals and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I eventually got home. My car was still over in the north parking lot over at the Pentagon. So I eventually needed to get back into the Pentagon to uh, to retrieve my car. I actually went in there the next day because I had to go and clear my boss's calendar. And heading in was really interesting because they're driving up to the building and the building's still on fire at that point. Things are still smoldering uh, internally and, and stuff like that. And so some of it's just... Like we're saying, the, the person driving by a car crash wants to see what's going on. But, and you're taking pictures because you're thinking prosperity. And, and I just didn't have the time to just sit there and look at things and be a witness because I needed to get in there and do what I needed to do. So I took some pictures and drove by certain areas where the press was. But then eventually uh, started heading into the building and the security was beefed up like I hadn't seen in, in years. Uh, you know, Being a military brat, you, know, you see certain things in terms of layers of security. Being at the Pentagon for a couple of years prior to September 11th, we'd have little things here happen here and there. Occasionally we'd have like a, a bomb threat or a suspicious package. There was one in the hallway one time in our building that you know they warned us about and they sent a bomb squad in and, and they actually took one of those robots and shot the package or the device with a shotgun. So you're hearing a shotgun explosion or whatever in your hallway of them taking care of whatever that suspicious package was, which wasn't a bomb or anything like that. But that's just kind of the things that happen when you're a target or a big important building like that, stuff like that happens. Like I'd mentioned before, being a military brat and over in Heidelberg, you know, we had a uh, bomb threats at our school, which, you know, some of them were bullshit, but they still took them seriously because we had a car bombing happen in Heidelberg, which beefed up the security around our village that we lived in. We were right outside the, the barracks there in Heidelberg in the military housing, but there wasn't like a perimeter fence or what have you around uh, our housing. But, you know, there was the government or the, uh, the general's housing was real close to our bus stop. And uh, so after that explosion uh, or the, um, the car bombing that happened over in Heidelberg, they erected an MP station at our bus stop right across from Heidelberg High School. So, you know, years passed, you know, we're on the way to middle school and what have you. And we're having snowball fights back and forth with the kids across the street, the Germans and us and just being normal dorks and stuff like that. But you know, we get a little Barney Badass uh, thinking, oh, we can hide behind the MP little booth and the guy with the M16 thinking we get a little protection from occasional snowball, but they're not there to protect us. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, so, you know, this is stuff that happens and that was 1982. But 
to kind of get back to the story of heading back into the Pentagon, we're trying to enter it. And then the way we entered before was you're basically either taking the metro, which there is a metro station in the Pentagon itself, then you take the escalator, you go up, and then you go and pass the security guards where they x-ray your packages if you need to, all depending on your clearance and have you go through a metal detector and so forth and so on. But that day, they actually had MP station, like, they expand that perimeter, uh, that same pathway that we had taken underneath 395. There was one dedicated just for pedestrians, and there were MPs on both sides of that tunnel that were checking us as we were moving through. So we had a couple of checkpoints before having to get to the building and then subsequently be you know, admitted through Defense Protective Services. So we, we had the military doing a checkpoint that day. Wow, that is beefed up. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's uh, those Hummers with the M16s on top of them. And some were in plain sight, which is helpful, uh, makes you feel comfortable. Uh, then later on, eventually, we saw some that were underneath those camouflage netting type things that you see in movies just sitting around. And uh, I went into the building. Uh, there's still smoke in the air. And even being several corridors away on the other side of the building, there was still you know, some smoke in the building. And so we, I didn't spend much time in there at all, but you know, I went in there to do what I had to do and got out. But I just kind of enter a building that's still smoking. Yeah, that's eerie. Just, uh, you know, having just, I, I guess, for a lack of a better term, escape from it the day prior. Yeah, you're thinking, you know, night has fallen, you've gotten some sleep, you know, every plane's landed, we're not being attacked anymore, you know, what more of an experience are you going to have? And everybody had their own experiences and, you know, some of them didn't end that night, and some of them never ended. Folks, down in um, you know Manhattan and Ground Zero in the World Trade Center, being there for weeks and months trying to pull people out. But yeah, I went in there, did that, got out, eventually got my car, and uh, found myself returning probably a day or two later. We didn't take too much time off. They put the fires out. You know, the building on the other side where we worked still had power, electricity, water, phones, all that stuff, and we needed to, to do our nation's duty. You know, we come in. Uh, Within a couple of days later, they are wiping down every surface in that building. All the hallways and corridors are washing them down because of the smoke. And if you've ever been in a building that was either on fire or whatever, you, know, you either have the current smoke that you're dealing with or later on when the smoke has gone away, you have just the smell. So that's what they were looking to do was just kind of take that down and kind of improve the conditions for people in there. I'd say anything else to kind of continue to the story is, I guess, over the years now that having social media, I don't know if I shared with you, but um, like I said, I, I had not known anybody who was personally impacted by the events of 9-11 at the Pentagon until probably three years ago when I was connecting with a colleague through Facebook. And September 11th, we either choose to or choose not to share things. You know, some of it's national security and military really don't talk about this stuff. I don't know if you call it bragging or whatever, but we just don't. But I also found it was important to do that a little bit. And uh, he was sharing with me that he had a colleague of his that worked at the Pentagon that day that died, but he didn't die in the Pentagon. He was actually on the plane that took off at Dulles and hit the Pentagon. 
Oh my. And I had colleagues that same year, actually that same month and a week or so prior to September 11th, who had gotten married and were on their honeymoons. And one was in Hawaii. She was the lady who sat in front of me at my desk. Her name is Megan. And uh, we're communicating with her. She's like checking in, seeing if everybody's okay. We're sharing things. But, you know, they're, they're grounded. Good place to be grounded in Hawaii. But your honeymoon's definitely a different honeymoon now. You know, you can imagine having a honeymoon during COVID, a honeymoon during September 11th. And she's wanting to be where she's at. But she's also wanting to be here. And I don't know if it's survivor's guilt or whatever it is, but you just want to be there for other people. And that's the one blessing that we all find comes out of these things. But uh, yeah, those, that's an, you know, events that happened right then. And then like I was saying, Wayne and his buddy who was on the plane who died and the lady who works in my real estate office, her husband was one of the first responders, and, and she's talking about stories of him actually entering the building um, immediately, being one of the folks from the Arlington Fire Department and stuff like that, and putting out fires and then coming across the wreckage of the plane. And she was saying that uh, he had actually uh, saw a, um, a human form tied up in a uh, chair that he thought was one of the flight attendants that had been subdued in the plane and, and so he came across her remains in, in the chair in the rubble there and, and uh, I can only just imagine he deals with and he's like beret and he, he went and did all the Afghanistan stuff and Kuwait and all that stuff but and he's still coming back and doing this stuff for us Man, my heart just can't go out enough for folks that have had to deal with those images, you know. And I just, I remember how raw the images were on all the magazines that I, I got from the, the grocery store I worked at. I got copies of Time and everything. And they were just unedited, unfiltered, raw, horrific scenes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is being printed on magazines. This is being printed in the newspaper. This is like just as bad as being there, although not. And so it affects us all because the imagery is still there. But being a first-hander of it all, it's got to be obviously its own its own um, animal altogether. Right. And so, you know, I was there, but I wasn't there. There, there, Yeah. So uh, the, my experience is just hearing the explosion across the building and then the sounds and then you know, the, the grit hitting my window and walking out and the smoke and the smells of that and the explosions outside and so forth and so on. But uh, I, I did not enter a flaming building, you know, mm-hmm. going through plane wreckage and, and jet fuel and fires and, and, and trying to put out this stuff and you know, the stuff that we either heard in, in news stories about people either being the s- survivors who were in the building when it happened or the first responders doing this stuff. But, you know, uh, another story I heard was uh, the Pentagon, like I, I said in our previous call, place is an amazing building. It's, I might I have a dentist that was there. <laughs> I was I had root canals performed at the Pentagon. I had haircuts. Uh, we had dry cleaners, but they also had things that were 
also, uh, you know, cafeterias and post office and gymnasium. But the one thing that really, the story that I thought was interesting was that they have a daycare there. It's on the other side. It's over on the river entrance, uh, the north parking area. And the stories I heard about them needing and how to escape that day. Because, you know, you can't just follow the teacher. Let's go like we went in the fire drill. There's the military people either getting their own kids and what have you. And, and they're starting to get their kids and starting to walk out. But, you know, you can't get your car and walk out. So they're walking out north parking. And they're hearing the same thing from Defense Protective Services that another plane's coming. And so they end up taking the kids past the north parking and starting to go down embankments to the George Washington Parkway and heading actually to the physical river to uh, to get away from the, the potential impact of a, another plane coming with children in tow. And uh, some of them in um, cribs even. That was a powerful day and affected a lot of people in lots of different ways. And God bless them for either going to get their own kids or helping the kids that were in their care. And that's uh, one thing I, I love about, you know, our men in blue and the servicemen and first responders. Yeah. It's pretty selfless. And God bless them. Absolutely. God bless the ones we lost, the ones that are still here, still suffering, both physically and emotionally and mentally, because I know in Manhattan, too, the, the dust. And I, I don't know if there are people from the Pentagon wreckage as well. Were they affected by the smoke inhalation in the dust? There's just like there's just so much ripple effect. Right. And there's so many stories. You know, it's it just goes out exponentially. And yeah. I'm sure people that were affected by things at the Pentagon. But we do hear more of the continued support that we try to provide for the first responders of 9-11 up in uh, New York with all that they had to inhale and and continue going through in terms of the the wreckage because, you know, they're looking for 2,000 bodies. Yeah. We had 184, I think. Um, And it was just easier, I hate to say that, use that word, an easier uh, attack zone, ground zero, uh, war zone, recovery area, search and recovery than in New York. But uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm hearing that they're trying to continue funding because they're talking about possibly taking some of that away. But there's still people that are suffering and, and dying because of the effects of that day. I had a buddy of mine who you know, worked for the Coast Guard, and he was a, one of the responders to help recover folks. And he's dealing with some residual stuff, but luckily not to the point where it's taking his life and, and or causing him to uh, to have to lean in heavy on those benefits and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, that still needs to remain. Yes, absolutely. If there's anything, I mean, I, I, I've known that there are things uh, in, I couldn't name any of the foundations or anything, but I know that there are certain benefits and things in place now that people have fought for it. But if there's any thing that I am passionate about, it's obviously raising awareness for that because it's not over for those people. Yeah. Yeah. And Actually, this year, I was fortunate enough uh, in October to go to a house concert where uh, an artist by the name of George Winston was performing. 
and George Winston is a renowned, he doesn't like the term of being a New Age solo pianist, but he's renowned and kind of the godfather of New Age solo piano. And uh, I got a chance to talk with him and meet him and talk to him about the, his work a little bit after that concert because it was, it was neat to be in uh, the room. I've, I've been in, I'm, I'm a fanboy of his uh, and studied his work and things like that. But uh, to be in the room with him, to actually sit and talk with him with only like 50 other people in the room because this guy, uh, you know, he's Grammy Award winning and he has soundtracks with you know, in movies and work with Meryl Streep and, and George Clooney. And he, he he actually released a September 11th album. He's um, really big into helping feeding the homeless and has various charitable uh, projects that he's done and, and that he's released to help support things like that. And he's got one for September 11th. And I talked to him about, you know, how I would love to have done that, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't have repertory he did or the following he did because he, he he would fill the grand concert hall at the kennedy center and we had thousands of people in this place sold out concerts at the kennedy center he still sells out at wolf trap and other things like that he's had a pbs special but uh yeah it was nice talking to him about that and uh, my thoughts are 19 years too late because i got to only talk to him eight ten months ago about it but it's still part of who i was and still part of his um continued efforts and you know he just posted it on social media that his album called remembrance uh is still taking the proceeds from that project and committing it to the the fundraising efforts for the first responders and the victims of that day and era wow that's amazing yeah Amazing to have been able to connect with them too. I mean, in obviously having that underlying brotherhood now. Oh yeah, it was it was amazing because uh, not only that, you know, within a month or two later, uh, I still connected with him through Facebook, and I was able to submit some music to him, and he reviewed my album. And I'm like, holy shit, that's like Mozart reviewing your album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's how much I geeked out. <laughs> it was just it was a blessing, and. Uh, so we need to just continue sharing our support because there's still going to be people suffering from this. Like, I don't know if I mentioned to you, but within two months later, after the 9-11, I was on a plane to Hawaii for my cousin's wedding. And on the way there, I'm on the plane and I'm talking to people. And there's people that are flying into Honolulu and Hawaii to observe, I think it was the 60th anniversary of Pearl Harbor. And that was in December. I'm flying in there with the veterans who had experienced Pearl Harbor. And we're both kind of sharing our stories with one another. My story is nothing like Pearl Harbor, but it was it was an honor to hear their stories and have them be interested in, in listening to mine. It's important and it's, it's helpful that we not forget these things. And that was 60 years later. And so we're probably going to be still feeling that when people are flying into D.C. and New York to honor their loved ones uh, who either were in the buildings or went to respond that day yeah no kidding i'm going to as an outro to both of these sections i would like to reach out if anybody is listening to your story or sharice's story or even ian i mean like the buildings that were attacked that day this whole event has so many different levels to it 
and it affects everybody in all different capacities in different ways. But the fact remains that there may still be thousands of people affected by this who have never gotten to speak about it. Mm -hmm. And it is important. It absolutely is important to discuss or to talk about those things in order to help your soul find some sort of resolution to those things. Yeah. And your psyche as well. And your psyche, absolutely, for your for mental health. I mean, I'm such a big advocate for mental health because I realized I had an issue right as it was becoming a, an awareness thing. And so I keep saying I'm one of the lucky ones. I've gone to counseling my whole life from my own upbringing issues and stuff like that. And so I've been given the tools, but it's been more predominantly spoken about now and to get rid of the stigma that it's a, it's a shameful thing to talk or cry about it even, to even cry about it, man. I mean, like anybody that has any healing to do, that's a one heck of a step is to get a good cry out. I know I feel amazing after it's done. And so you're right. Don't ever forget. Don't ever stop talking about this. Yeah, I tell you, I I actually have not had a good cry in many, many years. And I actually have been working with a therapist to help me deal with some post-traumatic and, and then also anxieties and things like that. And, uh, and I've gotten closer to being able to cry again. My sister died. She was my best friend uh, just in March. Uh, and and uh, I miss the cries that I had in the release and it was like a, a cleansing thing and I'd look forward to being able to do that again and so that's on my bucket list just to have a good cry certainly is and my deepest condolences I do remember when you posted about that and I'm so close with my sister she's my best friend too and so my heart goes out to you man I mean uh, I'm crying now because I'm a crier, so don't feel you have to cry. But I just do, and I, I feel that connection to you because my sister is my best friend. And, and this stuff doesn't have to go on the podcast if you don't want it to either. But, I mean, I, my condolences to you because that can't be an easy thing. It's been interesting. Uh, it's not been easy. Uh, it was a surprise. Um, and then it's been a, its own challenge doing it during COVID. And we just had the memorial service for her on uh, August 29th, the day before her birthday. Oh, wow. And so none of us are in person. My mom's 50 miles away. My brother's in Colorado. My niece is in Florida. I have family and friends all around the world Zooming in on a Zoom call. And we, we did a memorial service. My nephew is actually in jail where he was when he found out about his mother's passing. So that's an added challenge in itself to deal with trying to deal with your own grieving and then support others that are grieving uh, little them to that magnitude in that kind of circumstance. And he's in jail having to deal with mourning of his mother and COVID because that in itself is another story of the jails, how they deal with COVID and how they hands are tied to some extent and how much care they give or can't give or don't give to the inmates of these places just because we'd be releasing everybody so i can only imagine just the things we all have had to learn moving forward after september 11th or dealing with covid in terms of protocols of dealing with the care of people 
like, you know, he lost his final parent. His father died when he was five. You know, he lost his mother at 25 to find this news out in solitary confinement and then not being able to attend the service in any fashion for the memorial. I'm sure this is going to continue to, to be another scar that, you know, we, we, we needed to have some semblance of closure. She passed away um, March 16th and we did our memorial on August 29th. Separate from her birthday, so we have a celebration of life and then the celebration of her birthday. But even this day and age, next day, people are on her Facebook page wishing her a happy birthday and I'm having to share the news all over again. She's passed. It's just like, oh. So needless to say, I am seeking counseling for you know the grieving for my sister and then uh, post-traumatic from September 11th and then the anxiety disorder and the depression of COVID. And I'm talking to my shrink and we're like, what do we work on? Those are four different paths. Those are four different jobs. You know what it's like to have more than one job. You know, if you will do more than one job, you're not going to perform well at either of those jobs. But you're know, talking to my therapist, she's saying, you know, the fact that you're talking about anything, some of this stuff can transfer over. It may not be the same subject matter, it may not be the same scars and wounds and, and pains, but, uh, you know, some of it is like you're saying, it is the techniques that you can learn and training the tools that you walk away with from therapy and others are just being able to share that story and uh, have them give you the perspective of stepping back hearing you and then having them say to you do you know what you just said to yourself mm -hmm. and i use the analogy of like when i was as a handyman i'd go and do tile work and i'd be remodeling a bathroom i'd be in there tiling for almost two weeks and you know my wife Lisa would be like how's the project coming along I'm like I don't know because I'm down there looking at it inches from my face she's like you didn't step back to take a look at your work and I'm like well, I do I'm just looking for lines just make things make sure things are straight or level and all that kind of stuff but you know that's kind of the therapist they're like we have you step back and have you look and hear what you just said and help you realize the growth you've had or what you need to work on. And, uh, mm -hmm. It's important to be down there in the details, but it's also good to just step back, take that breathing. Absolutely. Yeah. Breath is life, man. Breath is everything. <sighs> ah, right. It just take, you know, it's my daily practice every morning with my coffee and I'll sit outside until there's snow. And even then I'll still go out there probably, but I'll sit outside in my house coat and listen to the birds and it's crisp now that it's turning into fall, but I'm just so grateful for my breath. And it's the lesson we all learn when we come into life is if we don't do that, we don't stay here. Mm-hmm. And so when we can focus on that breath, you are never more in the true moment than when you're focusing on that one thing keeping you alive. Yeah, and it can help you take you away from whatever's in your mind that you may be traveling to. Like, you know, I'm sitting here talking about September 11th, but if you sit there and just focus on your breathing... It, it was important to talk about September 11th, but it's also good to stop and just breathe. That's right. You have a choice to continue carrying trauma with you or not. Some people 
don't have a choice, but it all depends on whether you continue to keep it in your thoughts or you just say, I'm glad I talked about it, but I can put that into my filing cabinet and lock it away and it's safe there. I can always go back and visit it. I can always go back and edit it, but it's good to just keep it there and not carry it with me anymore because right now the things that sustain life are the breathing, the eating, the heartbeat, and then September 11th is not happening today. That's right. Absolutely. And a, a lesson I'm learning too in a book that I'm reading is certain past traumas that do come up on the regular, whether it be an argument from a parent that still drives you nuts at your age or whatever it may be, you can still go back to that moment and take a breath and thank it for its lessons and then actually unplug from that situation and bring back that energy that keeps draining to that time and space when you think about it. Like if you think about a depressing moment, it, it's a drain and it takes that energy and that joy from you. But if you can actually focus on it when it happens and give it some attention, like they say, don't think of pink elephants. Well, until you sit there and actually physically think of pink elephants for a little bit, it's going to be in the back of your head and it's never going to pass. And so it's like taking that moment and spending that time with it and thanking it for what it's given you, but I don't need my energy drained here any longer. And so I'm going to take that back and focus it somewhere else. And you're right, you can keep it locked up. It's never going to leave you because it's a part of you, but you no longer have to give your energy to it anymore. Yeah, like you're saying, it's like that one particular cell in a battery that is just not functioning or not functioning optimally, and it's, and it's just draining you and shift to the other cells, giving you the positive life and energy to move forward. That's right. Absolutely. Taking a breath is one of the most important things we can do in order to restore peace within ourselves and promote healing in our bodies, minds, and souls. I have my first two levels of Reiki training, which certifies me as a practitioner. However, I aim to get my master's degree eventually. Reiki is the connection of the energy around us to the energy within us via hand placements above the body within the aura field. This allows blockages in our bodies to release and the energy to properly flow, providing a more harmonious life. It hails from Japan from Mikhail Yusui and is based on the healings of Jesus Christ. Many hospitals and churches in the Western culture have started using these methods as well. As a matter of fact, we all do it. What's the first thing you do when you stub your toe or smack your head? You put your hand on it. Without thought, you are performing a basic form of Reiki, and you may not even be aware of it. I practice Reiki and Chi exercises daily, and they help me tune out all of the static that tries to interrupt my daily routine and thought process. If you or anyone you know would like some help with guided meditation, breathing exercises, learning more about Reiki and chakras, and how they affect each individual level of your body, mind, and spirit, please reach out to me at thisisyourshowpodcast at gmail.com. I would be happy to discuss with you my different memberships available. From one-on-one -on -one guided meditations and Reiki treatments to get you started on your holistic journey, to ongoing lessons about energy work and how to call back chi and apply it to every aspect of your life. If you feel ready to make this step in your life and you need a little help, please reach out to me. Thank you for listening. Let's get back to the show.
Wow, man. Well, was there anything else in this story from that day that um, you felt you wanted to touch upon or bring light to? Or I want you to describe what that plaque was that you sent me a photo of as well. Oh, yeah, that is actually what we do when people leave the Pentagon. Okay. Uh, and, and other institutions, it's kind of um, commemorating your time there, your surface there. It's a, an etched drawing or sketch drawing of the Pentagon with a big matte border around it where it's kind of like a yearbook of sorts. But it's, it's a, a piece of art with a big mat where people signed on the mat around it to congratulate you if you achieve something or uh, you know wish you well in your farewell of leaving your service there. And so yeah, that was my time there. I, I ended, actually there's two more things I can talk to you about being done with my service at the Pentagon on August of 2002. So less than a year prior to the one year anniversary of September 11th. Being there for those additional 11 months after September 11th had its interesting aspects and difficult aspects. Like I was saying, you're there, you're having, uh, trying to do your work, and then you have an F-16 plane coming by the building to tribute someone at Arlington Cemetery. And so one of the things that I was honored to be able to attend was the one-month anniversary of the attacks of September 11th over at the Riverside entrance of the Pentagon. It was a, uh, a memorial service for everyone that was affected on September 11th. It was uh, pretty big to do. Uh, we had the president there. We had congressmen. They actually shut down Congress uh, for a couple hours for them to be able to come over and attend this service. And then Secretary Rumsfeld, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, General Myers, they all spoke in choirs and stuff. And so uh, I actually have a pin that I received that day that anyone who had attended that uh, one month memorial service had gotten that I wear proudly on my suits and, uh, and does spark conversations when I go and get close to people uh, outside of a pandemic. Uh, and people are actually able to see the pins you wear on suits and stuff. Um, but yeah, that was a very touching day to be there seeing the pomp and circumstance uh, and the speeches by our president at that time and our feelings of moving forward and knowing that we were either had entered into war at that point, I don't remember, or we were about to, being a month later, I'm sure something happened or was very close to happening to some bombing of something. But you know, we all didn't know, and actually for a while we still didn't know, you know, who was the mastermind of that. But yeah, there, there's still uh, recordings of that through C-SPAN and stuff of that memorial service and the speeches and performances of that day. I'm glad to have been there, and I was outside of the Pentagon for the one-year anniversary, but I, I did not get in close to where the survivors were, just to, to give them privacy to deal with what they were doing. That I actually had to come as a, I still was a civilian government contractor, but you know, a civilian without the privileges of being a DOD employee and not having the badge to enter the building. I had to sit and just uh, observe this from a distance. 
Yeah, I don't get to keep my privileges. And since that day, then Jeff, have you been back, or was that the last time you've been to the Pentagon? Like, have you gone through tours? Have you visited, or I haven't. No. But preparing for this conversation, it made me kind of reflect and connect with a couple of my colleagues. Some of them still work there. One of them's been there 37 years working for the Department of Defense. I think it probably would be good to do it because I actually had a dream uh, the night before we spoke the first time of going into the Pentagon and entering into my old office space. And it would also be nice to find out from my colleagues exactly what office they resided in before they were relocated to where I ended up being and they ended up being when we were attacked on September 11th. But mm. they were on the E-ring and on the side that was struck. And if they didn't remove personnel from there during that renovation, there's a good chance I wouldn't be here to tell the story. And so that's just, I don't know why, it's just a curiosity. It's just kind of like space-time continuum where you're thinking, you know, what would happen if I had made that conversation? or like the sliding doors movie where you get on the metro or you don't get on the metro yeah change that day i hear you man the butterfly effect right it i often think of that too i've even said how many opportunities have i missed because my anxiety has prevented me from leaving the door at the opportune moment you know mm -hmm. And it's funny you say that you had a dream after our first talk because I also, I didn't, I don't think I dreamt it, but I had a premonition or just like a vision. But like, and the reason I asked you if it's something that you've returned to or if you felt comfortable doing, anybody that I've interviewed, like uh, Catherine Nagy, she goes to the Indy 500 every year. And I said, when the border's open, I'd love for her to be my tour guide to the Indy 500. Oh, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> put the word out and everybody who wants to go can go and she can be the tour guide for the mini cohort or whatever it may be right these are the opportunities or the visions that come through my co connections with people and so that's awesome because like you were saying you were talked to ari and and you got on facetime and you're actually able to walk down you know the streets of is he in israel Israel, yeah, exactly. And my daughter is homeschooling now, and I'm her teacher. And so if, let's just say, I mean, if you say you're comfortable and the, the border's open and you were willing, would you take me through the Pentagon and my daughter so she can use that as a social studies experiment? Well, I, I'd have to find out whether that'd be allowed. Um, or, or even going on a tour with you. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, not for you to take me through a tour, but like, do they do that? Are you allowed to go through the Pentagon and actually go on a tour? Well, they did back in the day. I'm sure they probably have reinstated those because they've done those over at the White House too, even after things, uh, at least after September 11th, because I'd gone there several times with colleagues and things. So I presume they have restored some of them because I don't know how heightened we are in a state of war. I mean, with the pandemic probably different thing. that's different yeah and i'm i'm thinking you know it probably won't be back to that kind of normal for a few years anyway but i'd like to dream ahead right and the yeah. way i the way i see it is all these connections i'm making while i'm stuck in my house are going to open the doors for me to actually walk out my front door and see the world mm -hmm. yeah no I, I dealt with some agoraphobia type stuff with my anxiety and fears where i was um Pretty much a recluse for a while uh, 
back in middle school and, and, and high school uh, where it was kind of debilitating. So I can I know that feeling of what it's like to try to even go out to your own mailbox. And uh, uh-huh. so it's neat that uh, you've found a way to connect with people. And, and the neat thing about this program is it is getting you to think about uh, extended programming or uh, different programming opportunities of, uh, you know, we're talking September 11th, but, you know, to be able to, you know, somehow walk yourself through, your daughter through, or the fans of your show through a tour of the Pentagon would be neat. I don't know how much they allow uh, that to happen in terms of press or... Uh, or like live recording of, you know, me walking through saying this. Yeah, I wouldn't expect that either. And I, I think it would be more or less we go through the tour and then I document talking about it on my podcast. Oh, okay. You know, you mean yeah. you talk, you coming to, to the DC area and then going on the tour? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I would love to see all things that are government buildings because they're just fascinating to me. And, you know, you see the Washington Monument and you see the Capitol building and it's in the movies all the time. And, I, you know, I've always wanted to go check that stuff out. I hear you. I've been in this dc area since 1983 and uh i've never been in the washington monument never been in the capitol i've i've sent documents from you know our department of defense to both of those locations not the washington Monument, to the white house i've been to the white house and that's been kind of cool and so you geek out and every air force one episode and show comes on i'm like yeah i gotta record that because oh man <laughs> Where's Harrison Ford when I need him, or whoever else was the president? Yeah, movie of Air Force One and all that kind of stuff. But, That's so cool. I would love to do that, man. Like seriously, I, you're you're on my list now because if this thing gives me the blessing to be able to do that and make it a write-off, we're paying for friggin' trips to go through all the Washington monuments or whatever we got to do. Cool. Well, I want to see if I can get a Hummer limousine to. That would be awesome, man. Get somebody to chauffeur us around. Robert Schwarzenegger to kind of help us with the tour (laughs) wouldn't it though I like to dream big and I don't think it's a a bad thing to do but you know like Kathy said with her podcast it opened up so many doors to her and so I that's just a vision I mean I'm not I'm not just going to stop at talking to these people I'm going to go see Cinder I'm going to see Sharice I'm going to meet you (laughs) you know I want to meet everybody yeah, cool. Well, let me know when you're thinking of it so I can do some research and find out about uh, how to do this. Uh, I can probably see if, you know, my colleagues who may or may not still be working there could help in facilitating some of this. Uh, That'd be really cool. Thank you, Jeff, for the opportunity to hear your story. I am confident that other people are going to be inspired to share their stories as well, no matter what the topic. What you endured that day 19 years ago was a reality many of us couldn't even imagine. I commend you for pushing forward and doing the work to overcome your anxieties and fears that were left imprinted on you after such a traumatic event. I too am working on conquering some of my fears and hearing your story really put some of them into perspective for me. Your bravery does not go overlooked. Thank you for tuning into This Is Your Show. My name is Tyler Friedel and I will talk to you soon.